to another episode of the Swans Blog Swans Cast. Tonight, I'm joined by Stephen Park from the Facebook group Road to Glory. Stephen, how are you? Very well, thank you, Justin, and yourself? Very well, thank you. And I'm also joined by the leaping hero of Melbourne Football Club, Russell Robertson. Russell, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Now, um, how have you been since football retirement? Have you been keeping yourself busy? I have, I have, yeah. I've um... I've been working at the same football club ever since I left. Um, well, not really ever since. I sort of had a couple of years there where I played uh, football, relaxed, did some music, did some um, some coaching, uh, did some TV stuff, did some, uh, uh, what else? God, music really. I get into the music side of things a fair bit these days. So, um, uh, look, I, I, I really, uh, I've been quite <laughs> eclectic with what I've done. I even did a theatre show. In the city, oh really? So, yeah, at the Athenaeum Theatre, I did a um, the thing called Barassi, which was uh, a, a stage show about the life and times of Ron Barassi. So look, I've had a ball of a time, to be honest. <laughs> will there be uh, will there be any sort of albums in the future, or any more sort of solo uh, acts? Uh, look, I did that. Uh, I did. He takes two. Remember with uh, Kate Sobrano, who was my part, duo partner. Yeah. Universal approached me and said, I'd love you to do this album. Um, just do some great rock and roll songs, old school rock and roll songs, typical of the songs you were doing on the show. Uh, would you like to put your voice to it? We'll pay you a heap of money. And I said, well, oh, nice. say no to that. So <laughs> I went in the studio with a, um, who's become one of my best mates now, a great mate, Phil Sobrano, Kate's brother. Um, and we we put this album together and it was just an absolute ball. So, yeah. Don't try and find it because it was my first ever go at singing, and ever since then, to be honest, guys, I've been on the circuit really, just to, um, oh, nice. learning the art um, and sitting, uh, sitting in pubs and clubs, and now I just do corporate music. And Robbo, I actually have a copy of your album at home. Is it a is it a is it a tea coaster? You use it to hold your uh, cup of coffee. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't do that. But I actually, the day it was released, I went out and bought a copy of it. I must admit, oh, I just wanted to see if it was any good. <laughs> no, it was terrible, terrible. But you know, we had a good, good go of it. We had some fun. Uh, the musos that did it were fantastic. I, I don't regret it. I love the experience. Um, but if I had, if I could just have another go, I'd love it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, redo it, but uh, you know, I, I just look, guys. I played piano when I was a young kid growing up in Tasmania. My old man said to me, You're going to learn how to play a musical instrument because when you can no longer play football anymore, you can still wow them with some music. Once I got over here to Melbourne, had a bit of timeline in my hands. I um, bought a guitar and taught myself how to do that. And now, every weekend, I'll play a wedding, um, a, a function here, and maybe, yeah, might be at the uh, the casino, um, Palladium, whatever. So I'm very, very lucky. Really am lucky. So is that why you're the uh, basically the Melbourne Football Club's MC as well, Robbo? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a one-stop shop, guys. Uh, 
Look, I say to kids all the time, you know, don't don't um, give up on anything. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you just got to stick to footy, and footy players don't do any of that sort of bollocks carrying on on, on stage. That's just a load, you know. You've got to enjoy life, you know. Give everything a go. Like I said, I did a stage show for crying out loud. It was awesome fun, awesome fun. I could, at least I can say I did it, you know. Well, football only lasts for 15, 20 years anyway, That's if right. you're lucky to last that long. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, you might as well just, you might, you, you not might as well, you need to learn to do something else, something else that's going to occupy your mind. And, you know, a lot of guys study and do all of that. Um, I didn't do that. I, um, I, I probably should actually go and get a degree or something like that, but no, haven't got one. <laughs> Now, uh, so you're still involved with the club in a uh, marketing capacity. I am. What's that? What's that like in a day-to-day basis? Do you uh, sort of spruik up the club to everyone you can, or are you yeah. sort of responsible for the online presence and whatnot? Yes, yeah, it, absolutely. Um, in a nutshell, I um, because I am a sort of trusted voice, and and a lot of supporters that know who I am. We we find it really well to have a pass player. A couple of clubs do it, not the only one. Richmond do it. Um, I think with a Flea Waitman, um, they have these pass players uh, get involved um, and and go along to functions like sponsor functions. It could be even just taking a few supporters through our training facility, making them feel involved with the football club. And it really does work quite well. So look, I'm I'm very lucky. I'm there at the MCG every day, sit at my desk, and um, when I'm needed, out I go and um, I do my things. Even on game day, I'm um, out there on the ground, um, doing the, um, the the to the big screen sort of. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I see you every now and again. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Probably better Swans games that you would have seen me do that. So yep. yeah. Not, I bet you wouldn't have been too happy a couple of weeks ago, though. Yeah, no, no, no. No, it was a, it was a damn shame. But <laughs> we're, we're building... I'm really surprised by this one this year. I think everyone's been surprised. It's a good little story, actually. This season's just had so much drama uh, from every club, yeah. really. Everyone's had their little bit, and Sydney's had their... I mean, the, I don't think any Sydney supporter would remember a start like that. It was uh, pretty poor, and they've turned it on to become... Probably one of the better sides, but stumbled, stumbled last week against the Hawks. Bit of a nemesis yeah, there, the Hawks. Real wrong. Yes. Unfortunately, the teams that play that style, um, unfortunately for them, they're not going to play finals. So you yeah. never know what could happen. Yeah. Uh, actually, they could play finals. Hawthorne. Well, they're yeah, there's still a possibility. Yes, mathematically possible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone's so, mathematically possible, except for Brisbane. Yeah, Collingwood's that, mathematically possible. Yeah, that's right. Very unlikely. Yeah. So, Robbo, how how did it feel to travel back down to Tasmania to, uh, or did you go down for the game Melbourne versus North, and how did it feel to be back down there? Oh, it was great to be back at a home state. It was a real, um, it was a great time for me. Um, coming up, I um, grew up on the northwest coast of Tasmania, Burnie. A little town between Burnie and Devonport, Devonport called Penguin, and we, um, well, I got three sisters, mum, dad. You know, lived in a very quiet existence, and it was a great upbringing. But then you get this opportunity to go and play AFL football, and um, it, to do that, you need to play with this statewide team, the, the Tassie Mariners. And so, I um, I got a phone call to say you need to move to Hobart. 
or else this is not going to happen. Um, and you're going to play in this team. And you're going to be flying over to Melbourne every week to play against these Victorian boys. Um, Hobart is a beautiful town. It really is. And I had an absolute ball. I was 17 years of age, hanging out with all my mates. There was a lot more girls down in Hobart, which made it a lot more fun for me. I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, well, there's a nice little precursor to coming over to Melbourne, which was really an eye-opener. Uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to go to Hobart, go to Hobart, but don't go if you're going to watch Melbourne play down there because obviously we don't like playing down there. <laughs> no, that's uh, two years in a row, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, last year was pretty close. Last year yeah. was that shootout where I think it was, um, what was it, 120 to 130? Yeah, yeah that's right. An absolute. Ball terror and it was the yeah. it was the Goldieverse Gorn show. That was that was yeah. something else. Oh yeah, yeah no, well it was this this time round. It was um, counter the wind. I think on the weekend it was a very interesting game. It was look. It was there was a five goal breeze, which probably made it just all the more frustrating for all the uh, the Melbourne supporters. We weren't able to. We just weren't able to to find our way into the forward line, and really probably all they needed to do the players was. Just pop the ball up in the air, and the ball would have carried that far. So that's very right. Disappointing, very disappointing. Um, but you know, we've just got to regroup now. That's the only thing we can do is regroup, get back out there, and uh, hope to hope that they can beat GWS. Because you know, the drama of this year, I said, anything can happen. That's exactly right. Got a quick one for you, Russell. Yep. Have Melbourne come back to to uh, take up a like a one time coaching capacity to uh, teach teach the players how to take speckies and spectacular marks? Yeah. <laughs> no, because you know what it, Melbourne have always had, not always had, but seemed to find these uh, players that just know how to take hangers. Jeremy Howe obviously was another one that uh, mm. came and went and went over to uh, to Collingwood. Um, so yeah, look, uh, we've we've always found someone, but no, I've never been asked to do any coaching. Uh, never been asked to coach. I think that's probably because, play, you know, the game is so defensive now. And you, boys, you remember when I played football? I don't think I laid a tackle in thirteen years. So, <laughs> no, yeah, not sure I'm going to get um, get a knock on the door anytime soon. Not only that, you um, didn't have that many defenders to play against at times either. Well, that's right. We had six guys down, six forwards, or you know, five five forwards and six defenders, and that that was as bad as it ever got. And we didn't have to run down into the defence. And I think if I ever did that, I would have got a little bit dizzy. So uh, <laughs> I, I was lucky. I look at poor Jesse Hogan now, and and it's not his fault. It's not Melbourne Football Club's fault. It's just the way football's gone, and it may change and evolve and go back to the way it was again. Um, that's that's how fast this game is just evolving and changing, but. I see him up on the halfback flank one second, he's over on the wing, and then another second, then he's back into the forward line. And if I have one more person say to me, why do players miss goals these days? I mean, use your brain, people. Just please use your brain. They're tired. They're totally gassed. Mm. They're just absolutely gassed. Tony Lockett had only moved 10 metres in a game. <laughs> And he was having yeah. a shot. He, just, he that just was, had all this energy, you know. That was a fast ten meters, though. He was mm. about as fast as they got over that space. Oh, lightning! Lightning! Oh god! One of the best players of, of our of our time, Tony Lockett. There's only one bugger. Mm. Oh, he was a he was an athletic freak considering his size. So 
Yeah, look, and, and his his ability to body um, was another thing also. We, we can't forget that. Yes, he was a big boy, but he could mark the ball low to the ground. He could pick it up, handball it off. His ability to, to read the flight of the ball. I think Jesse Hogan's got a bit of that. I think uh, Jonathan Patton's got a bit of that. Um, well, not a bit, a lot. Of, and I played with a guy, David Neitz, who was just absolutely Oh, amazing. yeah, Neitz, yeah. Neitz, was just so powerful, so strong. And, and and able to just throw people away at the right times, and that what made that's what made him good. So yeah. So Robo, what do you actually think of today's football? Do you think it's as good as when you played, or not as good? Well, you know, if I'm watching the game on the weekend, I think it's a great game, and I think to myself, what were we like? And then I'll put a video on, or I'll see a, a bit of footage on TV, like for instance. They keep showing this uh, Melbourne playing down in Geelong, and I think it was about 05 or 06 or something like that, not even earlier, 04, when we beat Geelong for the first time since 87. And I'd kicked seven goals that day, so it was lucky for me I'd play the Ripper. Um, and, you know, people keep messaging me, Robbo, you're on TV, get on to Fox Footy and watch yourself. And I'm like, I'm already watching it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I, I watched that game and it was fun. Got it on it DVD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I sent it to everyone. Look, I, I, I watched that game and it was fast, it was quick, it was defensive. Um, you were talking 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, my last few years, it just really started to get to that point. And to be honest with you, I did in the end become. Um, outmoded, outdated. I'd, I was sort of part of that past era where you could kick to a contest and I was looking for it because I was taught to jump for the ball into a contest. And there was no contests anymore unless you're playing on the half-back flank where you can sort of read the ball coming in. For me, that those contests in the forward line were gone. So, yeah, it, it was a bit frustrating towards the end. Probably when I started in 97 and 98, it was... Um, that game was so different, crying out loud. We didn't. We were training at five o'clock at night, four o'clock at night. We'd start training. It wasn't full time then. Everyone was working yeah. during the day. And then Neil Danaher took over in two thousand and seven. Uh, sorry, two thousand eight. Sorry, ninety eight. Ninety eight. And um, he wanted to become professional. And around about ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, it really started to become what we see today. That's not that long ago when you think yeah. about it. That's um a little over 15 years ago that the sport has changed so much. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, contracts-wise, think about that for a second. I mean, the average player, I don't know what the average player, I think it's something like $200,000 now, isn't it? Oh, three, to, yeah. Yeah. three. Yeah, yeah. A first-year player back when I first started was $20,000, and you'd be lucky to get 1000 bucks per game, which is nothing, you know. Of course... The cost of living wasn't as big back then, and, and we could get by. But that's not a lot of money. And we were we were doing weights at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning in the pre-season, be done by nine o'clock, so that everyone who had a job could go to work, um, do what they've got to do, and then you did have to be back ready to go for four o'clock start of training, train till six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. So that that's done. I mean, that doesn't happen now. Everyone gets the boys at Melbourne; they get to Amy Park. At seven to thirty in the morning, ready for an eight o'clock sort of start and a get go, um, and they're out of there by two o'clock most days. So it's a full time job now, and they are on yeah. big, big money. So, Robbo, back um, when you were playing back in the early days, did you have to like watch all the videotapes of 
the um, games from other clubs that you were going to play against and things like that, like they do to, in today's football? Oh, yeah, but it was VHS. We were watching videotapes, the real videotapes. It was cut up by yep. somebody and um, dubbed or whatever, and, oh, God, it was, it was probably painful. It wasn't as easy. Like the coding that they do now, they just press a button and it's chucked into a... Um, you know, into an, a separate thing, chuck it on a stick, and away you go. You go to a separate room, and look, the way they do it now is they don't. We used to sit 40 people in a room, and we'd watch the video, and the coach would tell us everything, and we'd go through all the clips of the the team that we're about to play. Not probably not as extensively, but we sure we sure did that. And Neil Danaher, he was from the Kevin Sheedy School of Thought, which was to overload with information on the board and tell you what to do and. And that's just the way it was, and we knew no, no different. Now what they do is it's small information groups. So they don't do the big 40-plus in a room where you can hide in the corner and fall asleep and not be a part of it. <laughs> These boys are give homework. They've got to come to training ready for this, the first meeting in the morning and contribute in groups of 10, smaller classrooms, so that you learn. It's all about development these days. You develop your players by teaching them, by getting through to them. And Yes, smaller classrooms these days, boys. That's what they do, and it's. And I think it's really, really great. Back then, we were, yeah, we were falling asleep up in the back row. <laughs> yeah. Do you, did you still get those um, coaches sprays on the Monday? You know, someone's made a big, big blunder on the weekend, and has did the coach ever sort of pull you aside and unload, or oh, do yeah. it a bit publicly, or was it like a pat on the back and let's move on? Let's try not to do that again. Yeah. Well, there's a massive generational difference between me as a 38-year-old to a possibly someone that's retiring now as a 32-year-old. What they'd be getting now, and they probably only got a touch of it at the start of their career, was they'd have the coaches, yeah, absolutely tearing strips and going purple-faced, you know, crazy, calling you all the names under the sun to get the best out of you. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. And that's probably not any fault of the young kids. It's just the way the world is, the way technology is now. It's changed us. Um, and the way we respond to uh, facilitation. So coaches, I think, you know, I only see it with um, uh, Simon Goodwin because he's the one that's there. And I saw it with Paul Ruse, the great Paul Ruse, who we all love and you guys love. Um, yeah, he, he, yep, he was a, I don't know about a cuddler, he's from the old school, but he started this <laughs> new vogue, this new vogue way of, thinking of being a mate of the players and, and, and really trying to know about them and know what's best, uh, what they do, uh, how they respond best. Um, and, and, you know, that sort of, and his wife, Tammy, who's an absolute legend, she was probably the left field thinking, um, the, the Zen, the meditation and all that sort of stuff. She brought that in as well, and everyone's doing that sort of stuff now. So I see Simon Goodwin definitely um, being a mate of all the players. Lukey Beveridge, a mate of all the Bulldogs. They famously just love him as a, as a bloke, as a mate, and they played for him in the end. So that's how you have to do it. You can't fire and brimstone Ron Baratheon anymore. You can't get away with that in society as a whole anymore, so that's why you can't get away with it in the public eye. Yeah, this autonomy, this uh, you know one-person dictatorship it does not work it, it yeah you have the 18 year old telling the 32 year old on the list that he's not pulling his weight that's how they want to structure up they want everyone to be leaders so the the 360 degree feedback that is just you know part and parcel of I mean it's part of the fabric of football now it is sit there and tell someone for me imagine me sitting down telling Gary Lyon 
that he wasn't doing good enough and he's pathetic at the moment. He needs a different game. <laughs> he would have stood up yeah. and punched him in the face. You know, I would have expected yeah. it. But no, these days, he's expected that, oh, Noah Clayton Oliver comes in and he's got to be able to tell Nathan Jones that I don't think you're working hard enough. And Nathan Jones has to accept that and take it for what it is and and um, not fire up. So then that's what they do, and that's okay. That's good. That's the way the world is now. Like you say, the kids are different. Yeah. I still um, remember, I think it was round five, when Callum Mills pulled all the Swans players in together and actually yep. gave them all a talking to. Yeah, so the coaches same would love that. They would have loved yeah. to see a young fella taking that responsibility. Jack Viney did it for us guys over here in Melbourne. Um, pulled these blokes aside and said, "Not good enough." And you know that's that's great leadership. It shows great um, great fortitude. To and that's hard. It ain't easy to 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 stand up in front of all these older guys and your mates and tell them what you think. As a young bloke, you just want to sort of fly under the radar. But each, everyone's got their strong points. Everyone's got their different leadership styles. But what they really are trying to do is to get everyone speaking, talking. Um, and there is no autonomy. There is no one person that is greater than the other person, even coaches. It's a really good insight. So what was it like doing the Barassi musical, which I actually saw too, by the way? Yeah, no, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant fun. I mean, you're, um, you're in the city. You're hanging out with all these actors. Um, you know, it was a great life. Theatre life is just magnificent. You know, there's not much to worry about. You get a show in the night during the week um, on a Wednesday and on a Sunday. You're doing a show during the day and the night. Um, it's performing and it's up on stage. It's scary. Oh, God, I was scared. You know, of course, running out on a stage and doing all this acting and the th they call it vaudeville, which is really going over the top in theatre. It's not like acting on in a movie. A completely different thing, going over the top. And as a footballer, you're told to, you know, Tuck yourself in, tuck your art in. You don't be carrying on like that and getting in front of everyone and thinking that you're better than everybody else. And <laughs> I, yeah. I found it very, yeah, I found it very strange indeed. But I loved it all the same. It was just so much fun. And I tell you what, my a lot of people that did go and see it, they loved it. They thought, oh great, something that they, some theatre that they can actually watch, which was football. Yes, it was. It was actually a brilliant show. I must admit. Um, comparing it to football, what uh, was better and what was worse? And I know there's no comparison, but... Yeah, so, I mean, no, no comparison. I, so I played footy on the MCG. I've, you know, I've done things like I've, I've sung Grease Lightning with Olivia Newton-John at the MCG uh, one night. Oh, God, that was just one of the great <laughs> moments of my life. I was Johnny Travolta for a minute. It was brilliant. Um I've uh, played in the grand final. I've done the acting thing, as we said. I've, uh, what else? Danced at this like, closing ceremony in the Commonwealth Games um, with Brendan Favola. We were ballerinas out there. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've done a lot of things. And now I play in bands. You know, I'm up there with uh, these bloody rock stars rocking it out. And safe to say that I'm a, I'm a footballer. At heart, yep. I, I love my football, and I still flick the reruns on and of old games, and just love it, just like you guys do. So, yeah, but I'm glad that I've done those other things as well. Yeah. So going back to the football, then, who yep. was your greatest ever opponent? 
Yeah, good question. Um, the, the guy that I really didn't like playing on the most was a guy by the name of James Clement, who uh, was a Collingwood uh, player, free OB at the start. Yeah, went to Collingwood, yeah. won a couple of Copeland trophies. And he was just absolutely sensational. You wouldn't have thought it because, I mean, he, he was um, fast, strong, smart, uber-intelligent, really intelligent. Um, so he was just so hard to play on. And, I mean, this guy played on the halfback flank and he won two Copeland trophies. Um, mm. you know, how do you do that? So, yeah, I used to hate playing on him because he knew you just... It was going to be a tough day at the office. Now, there's a couple others. You know, Harry, o, Harry O, as he was known back then, Heretia Lumumba in the end, he was very yep. tough. Just held on to you. Oh, I couldn't stand playing on him. He was really, really strong. Um, and Dale Morris in the end, one of those guys that um, he didn't bother too much about getting the ball. He was about stopping you, and I hated that. Right, yeah, that's interesting. Um. Okay, so what were some of your greatest football moments that you can recall, whether about you or when you've been on the field and seen some? Yeah, oh, look, two moments uh, stand out uh, straight away. The first was um, um, a, a preliminary final to get into the grand final in 2000. Uh, we were playing North Melbourne that night. And the great thing about a preliminary final as opposed to a grand final is that everybody in the crowd is a supporter of the two teams that are playing. At a grand final, it's corporates, you know, and a lot of people couldn't give a rat's who wins. They're just there for the experience. So, you know, I remember late in the last quarter, North Melbourne have come to an end, or an end of a run of just success through the 90s on the back of Wayne Carey and, and all those guns that they had. Um, they were sort of getting, getting a little bit older and we were coming up. We were this young team full of young kids that were... Uh, just a little bit of spunk about us. Um, this game tooted froed all night. And we got ourselves two goals up, I think, with a couple of minutes to go. And really all we needed to do was kick a goal and it was all over. And North Melbourne, they needed to kick a goal to make us really nervous and, you know, the chance to win it. So I remember mm -hmm. being in the forward line. I'm 19 years of age. I'm standing in the forward line. I was playing on a, a younger player as well. Um, and the ball was up in our back line, their forward line, and they were menacing. We won the ball out, and the ball came streaming down the wing, and I didn't know, I thought, well, do I lead here or do I lead back into the forward 50? A sort of dummy led forward and hoped that they kicked it over my head, and they did that. So we, me and my man, we're racing for the ball, and we're heading towards the Great Southern Stand. If you can imagine the Great Southern Stand, punt road end, pocket, or half forward flank. I picked the ball yep. up probably about 20 metres from the boundary line and ducked at that very moment. And my man flew over the top of me. I stood up and I looked down the ground and I could see 34 blokes staring at me. Like, they weren't running at me because they knew they were too far away to do anything. And I looked toward the goals and there was no one between me and the goals. All I had to do was stroll in and kick a goal. So I turned, sized them up and put it straight through the middle. And I turned to the Great Southern Stand as it erupted to this raucous noise. And I'll never forget it to this day, just staring up to the Great Southern Stand to probably 50,000 people screaming at me and screaming back to them, we're going to a grand final, baby. You know, it, it's just one of those moments in my life I'll never, ever forget because we all want to play in a grand final. We all 
want to get that one day in September and I, and I got there and that was the moment um, right there and I was a big part of it and I just felt like a rock star. I was 19, you know. <laughs> yeah. Carl and Tate, we went to the grand final. It was another great experience and we lost to a rampaging Essendon team. Another, I mean, there was a lot yeah. of moments all the way through. I played for Australia and, and we won games. To, to, to be honest with you, fellas, if you ask any AFL footballer what are the greatest moments, the ones that didn't win grand finals, obviously you'd say oh, winning a grand final was amazing. A lot of them would say there were great wins along the way where your backs were against the wall, you had a lot of injuries, and you came out on top against a really good side. They're great moments. So North Melbourne, they would have loved beating Melbourne on the weekend. Don't, don't, don't discount that. They would be going back to Melbourne just going, how good was that? That was amazing. We did something hard together, and we came out mm -hmm. on top. That's what life's all about because we're meant to struggle. As humans, we're supposed to battle and to come through a battle and come through hard times together with a group of people is, is an amazing feeling and that's why I always will always remember those great wins when we, you know, probably playing a great West Coast Eagles side in 1998, undermanned, probably had 10 of our best out and we got over the top of these Goliaths who didn't have a single injury and that was probably another win that I remember. That's really good. I'd actually compare the, the side that you actually lost the grand final in, that Melbourne side, to the Western Bulldogs of last year, to be honest. Very yeah. similar, very young, up-and-coming side. Yeah, wing of the prayer stuff. We were hoping for the best. We had three shots on goal, I think, very early in that game in the grand final. And we needed to kick everything. We needed to kick that. Everything had to be perfect for us to win. Unfortunately, we kicked a couple of points, and Essendon just were able to go bang-bang and... And kick, and kick the goals and stay ahead. And they just knew they had us on toast. Uh, but we thought we'd get back there. 92, 94, sorry, 2004, 2002, 2005, six. We were real chances to, to break the drought for Melbourne. Uh, but unfortunately, yep. uh, we just we, we failed towards the end of the season. But I will say that we didn't have the club set up back then. We did not have a set up for success back then. We were one of the poorest clubs training out of a pathetic junction over. Um, everyone else was ahead of the curve in terms of the sports science and the facility, and we were terrible. So um, we've fixed that now. We've got this amazing facility, Amy. We've got money in the bank. We've got a great bunch of coaches. Um, every player at this football club, the Melbourne Football Club, has no excuse now. There is so much development going on. So well done to Peter Jackson, who's our CEO, you know, to sort mm -hmm. that out. And well done has to go to, to Paul Ruse. I mean, we can't go slapping each other on the back just yet because there's... We haven't even played a finals game yet, but you must admit the differential this year, the wins and losses, um, percentage is so much better for Melbourne. We haven't been thrashed. And how many times have you seen Melbourne thrashed over the last 10 years? So well done to those yeah, guys. Yeah, good point. And just on um, just on Paul Ruse, because you would have um, heard some of the radio work that he does on the weekends, especially um, the pre-game radio work. And I he's do. got like this segment on Triple M where it's uh, Bruiser's story time or something like that. And he's telling yep. a story about his coaching or playing career. Yep. Uh, about a, maybe a month ago, a bit more than a month ago, he told a story about when he first went to Melbourne. Yep. And he was shocked at the state of the Melbourne Football Club. Yep. And he went to do a training session. And he said, I think it was only like 10 or 12 players turned up to a training session. They had a lot of injuries. Yep. And then they went through a training drill and he was shocked just by where the skills were and what the players were doing and things like that and just the state of what the club was. So yeah. from your own perspective, from playing to now being, I guess, an official of Melbourne, 
What's the transformation like and how much has Paul Ruse and other particular characters and individuals driven that change? Standards um, at the Melbourne Football Club were probably um, terrible. It's been said by you and Rusey and it's on record by everyone that Peter Jackson came into the football club and was like, what, what, what's going on here? We just lost our way after a few um, bad luck things like Jimmy dying, um, the Ailey, the tanking furor, all those sorts of things. Uh, you can't blame any one person, but the Melbourne Football Club were rudderless um, for a long time. The football club, people that were working at the club were trying to fix the place, um, but it was a massive, massive um, behemoth that required some real interference from big people like the AFL and Peter Jackson. And, and look, the AFL never, never did anything to help us. We did it all ourselves. Um, the AFL were obviously very interested in, in, in fixing the problem, so that you know everyone was helping everyone. Even other AFL clubs were trying to help us get back to where we needed to be. And lucky for us, Peter Jackson was brought in, had a look around, and he, the same, decided that there's not a lot of good processes going on around here. Um, it takes a long time. It, it really does take a long time to get this sorted out. And um, I think um, what the, the short answer is you need good practices, good culture, good people. And we brought in some really good people who knew uh, what good culture looks like and what good practice looks like. And they started instituting that sort of stuff. And remember Rusey saying things, there's a lot of players here that are scarred, that are scarred by the past, and we need to really, really work yeah. hard with these people or start again. So it was always going to take a while, and we're starting to see you know, the turn of the, turn of the curve now. So we've got Brendan McCartney in there as a coach's coach. We've got Simon Goodwin with this bevy of great assistant coaches. Further from that, you've got a board and a, an administration under Peter Jackson that know how to get this done, and slowly they're getting it done, and that's why Peter Jackson's probably stayed on a little bit longer than he f first anticipated. Um, he realised that this is going to take a while, um, and he's here till the end of next year. That's really good. It's great to see that the Melbourne Football Club has actually turned it around, and you can see it in the players themselves. From A perfect example is Jack Watts who's actually become a really, really good footballer and has taken on the club culture. Yeah, Watsy just needed to be supported. Um, Watsy needed to, uh, someone to understand him, someone to, to see what he, you know, required to play his best football rather than demand it, I suppose. And there's a number of things. Watsy was never going to be the saviour, the, the instant fix. Watsy was always going to play well in a good team. Um, mm. So it was just a matter of time for him, and we've seen that over the last couple of years. The team started to perform better. He's performing better. Now he can do what he does, his craft, better in a good team with good people around him that understand him. And that's the, I mean, the same could be said for a lot of our players, to be honest. But what's this, what's he so polarising? Because he's this big, tall, good-looking bloke who was number one draft pick. So he yeah. cops it. He absolutely cops it to Paul Bugger. And to be honest, he's one of the greatest do you think that maybe there was a bit of Nick Rewald about that? How uh, Nick Rewald and the other St Kilda fellow, um, Justin Justin Kaczynski, yeah, they were so good that when they when they hit the scene, they were amazing. And they also had uh, Chris Judd, uh, Luke Hodge, cousins. Gary Ablett, Cousins. Oh. It was. Do you think that there was a bit of like, well, Jack Watts, he's number one. He looks good. He looks athletic. He looks tall. Like he could be a nice key forward. He's going to be, you know, the next best thing. Yeah, look, Nick Nanui going to West Coast Eagles. 
um, as this other great player. Um, you know, should we have gone with him? Should we have gone with Watsy? Well, I think we've got it right. I think everyone's going, yeah, oh, I see now. God, he's a good player. He is a tremendous footballer and one of the best users in the AFL. I mean, it's probably a stretch, but, but if you watch him on a game day, he is, I mean, when things are going well, he's absolutely brilliant and he just becomes an important cog and a very vital cog in our team. Um, we're starting to put a really nice team together, fellas. There's some great guys in there. Petrarca, Oliver. Sorry, Petrarca. Mm. Clayton Oliver's going to win a Brownlow, and if he doesn't, I'll go there. You've got Big Gorney, who's still young in the ruck. You've got Jaden Hunt. I mean, the, the list goes on with our our boys at the moment. It's just a matter of time. Um, so that brings me to probably my last question around football. The rumour mill is always an interesting one, and this is probably a question, Rollo, really, you've got to say... No comment to, but the rumour going around is that um, Zach Jones may be going to the Melbourne Football Club next year and the possibility that Jared McVeigh may be going to the Melbourne Football Club as a one-year player, two-year assistant coach. Do uh-huh. you know anything about this and are you able to comment? And what's your speculation? <laughs> I would definitely be able to comment on that, um, but I know nothing about it. You guys are more on the pulse than I am, so people should tune in and listen to you more often. Um, yes. You know, Jared McVeigh, I think, is an interesting one. You look at um, um, Louis, Jordan Lewis, and um, some of the older guys, Daniel Cross, who we got across from the Bulldogs. They are so important, yep. fellas. Eh? They really are, because that's that whole processes thing that I was talking about. They bring in yep. successful processes and successful organisations. That's what you need. It's the same in business. It's just it's just got a different picture and a paint on it. It's football. You're bringing people across that have been a part of success. And what did you do at the Sydney Swans to make you guys so successful? I'm going to make these players love you by playing next to you. You just teach them, and that that'll be brilliant mm-hmm. to have. I mean, then to have Zach Zach Jones is a carbon sort of copy of his older brother. So out goes one. In comes the, the the other. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? A three-time Breast and Ferris winner, Nathan Jones, from Melbourne Football Club. A little chunky yep. man. Um, he's done so well for us. Now, I don't know how long he's got to go. He probably could play for another five years. I don't know. But, you know, one, one would say he's probably um, at the, the other end of his career now. And Zach, well, he's probably just getting to the start, isn't he? He is. He certainly is. How do you boys Yeah, well, I don't think... Um, well, personally, um, Zach Jones is a good player and he's going to be a good player and he could be someone that could stay with us and could go. So I'm not really that um, yep. concerned about Zach Jones, but I'd be devastated if Jared McVeigh went and played for someone else, you know, the whole one club player. Yep. But um, if it happened, then and it's for the best interest of him, then I say good luck to him. I don't yes. think it's work for Sam Mitchell, though. With West Coast, no, no. So no. he's that's something that has to be weighed up as well. Is he going to be as good at another club as what he was um, at the previous club? And probably you look at, um, but it hasn't worked for the West Coast Eagles. It's worked for Mitchell because he gets the coaching role, doesn't he? So yeah, it's the West Coast Eagles that have probably been a little bit hurt by that. We've been okay with Jordan Lewis. I think Jordan's been fantastic for us this year, and he's taught folks behind the scenes as well. 
Jared yep. McVeigh, I would love to have him. Sorry, mate, I'd love to have him in our football club. But yeah, <laughs> do you know what? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about that one club player because I was a one club player and I'm so proud and glad that I did that and didn't go because I had a couple of opportunities to go elsewhere towards the end of my career. So I'm very, very pleased I stayed. Yeah, but um, I can imagine some Swans fans would be actually devastated if he did leave and probably even for Zach Jones to go. But my tip is that he's actually probably going to um, leave because by this stage it's very unusual that players stay if they haven't committed by almost the end of the season. That's true. Yeah. Um, when they start saying this, oh, we're going to wait and hold off my management group and I'm going to hold off to the end of the season, that's when you start going, uh, I think he's going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. History has taught us as well. Um, Gary Ablett. Chris Jard, it's so many players have done it before. So, yeah, I don't want to see anyone. Buddy leave. Franklin. Yeah, there's only one person that I want to see leave and go anywhere is in, in the entire AFL. Is I want to see Gary Ablett Jr. go back to the the Cats for a couple of years. I would love to see that. He's been in the wilderness up there in the Gold Coast Suns. I don't think they need him anymore. I think the Gold Coast yeah. Suns need to concentrate on other areas. Um, Gary Ablett back in the homeland. Oh my God, it'd be it'd be the the return of the prodigal son. Uh, it would be something quite special, I would have thought. Yeah, I agree with you totally there. So I've got one question from Stinger on Big Footy. He's a Melbourne supporter. Yep. Are you still best mates with Woi Woden? Yep. I I was best man at his wedding. His best man at mine. Terrific fella. One of the hardest workers. Um, that I'd ever seen coming into the AFL system. Um, got the best out of his ability. Um, gave his heart and soul to the Melbourne Football Club. You know, he was probably ahead of the curve with that professionalism that just becomes part and parcel of football now. You know, weighing his food. Um, you know, everything that he did had a process to it and a, a plan. He outsourced. He looked for the better ways to do things. Um, unfortunately, it sort of didn't work for him. The game sort of passed him by, and that he was a bit slower towards the end of his career, playing in the midfield, same height as me, needed to be a bit taller, needed to have a couple of special things, and just just sort of didn't work out in the end. But um, terrific guy. Well, the next one is from Rowan from the Swans blog. What was your favourite hanger? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think my favourite hanger was probably the West Coast Eagles that he had studying in the pre-season. Played a pre-season game in there, and I remember this mark. Um, I'm sure you'll find it on YouTube somewhere if you look hard enough. I remember going to this mark and thinking to myself as I took off the ball with a big floating one out of the middle of the ground up to down, and sort of the uh, centre bounce. It was coming in at really high, and I jumped so early, and I thought to myself, "Oh, you idiot! You've gone way too early here." Coach is going to drag you. The fans are just going to think you're an idiot. Well, hang on a second. I'm, I'm still getting the hover here. I'm still up in the air because I've got this beautiful sit on top of Brad Miller and his opponent. And nice. Lucky for me, I stayed up there, took the mark, and the best thing, boys, came down, landed on my head, and it didn't hurt. So that's what you want to say. <laughs> don't, don't land on your feet. It's a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. Now, did you win the now, car from that mark? No, because it was Eddie, it was a preseason game, so it didn't. Ah. <laughs> you got, uh, Robbo, you got drafted because of a mark you took on the footy show. Was that you? No, yeah, that wasn't that was you, me. was it? That was oh, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I um, I was 
probably um, a long shot at best to get drafted before that. One of my mates sent in these two marks that I'd taken for the Tassie Mariners that year, and those two were something that I never, ever bested. They were some pretty amazing, even even I've got to say, that I don't know how the hell I did that. These two marks were, were pretty specky, and um, I ended up winning the footy show, almost footy legends, and came third yep. with the other one. And that's when Melbourne sent down someone to talk to me, and the rest is history. Yep. And if, if our listeners want to check out those, you can find those marks on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, so, I was a, yes. a young skinny kid. <laughs> yeah. Um. So speaking of marks, I've got one extra question, Justin. I'm just going to throw in here. Who's a better mark, you or Jeremy Howe? Oh, Jeremy Howe by far. I mean, he's he's um he's majestic with the way he goes about. It. I mean, he's an art form. He's taking marks for me. I mean, he's a lot taller than me too. He's six foot three, six foot four. Um, yeah. And just a natural spring, and for that matter, Brett Burton, I think, was one of the greatest uh, taking a hanger as well. You know, I obviously love watching guys do that. Sean Smith probably, um, I, I would have thought, he'd have been right up there, um, near number one as one of the best hanger takers. These are the guys that do it consistently. I'm not talking about someone that sort of every now and then took a really big mark, one big mark. Guys that yep. always did it. I always took a, a hanger, guys. And, and look, you know what? It wasn't massive. I'd do one a game. It was up off the shoulders or it was up off the hips or whatever it was. It was me just trying to get near the ball. I just needed to get near the ball so I could kick a goal because I was so short. So when you watch, I usually took it on my chest because it was safer and I just wanted the mark. So, yeah, dare me out, mate. Yeah, he's definitely. So um, the other question to that, is there any chance you want to go up to the Swans and teach Buddy how to take a mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Look, when you can tap the ball to the side and then run onto it and run on a big arc and kick a goal like he can, why do you need to mark it? <laughs> yeah, that's a point. Yeah. The next question comes from Belden on Facebook. If the ladder stands as it does now at the end of the season, which teams do you see falling off in the first week? Oh, so that's a good question. I think um, the top four, obviously, um, if you've got GWS and Richmond and Adelaide, those guys in there, well, they're going to stick around for a little bit longer. But the ones that I don't think will stick around, West Coast Eagles, I don't think will stick around. I don't think they've got enough tricks. Um, I think um, you've got to look at game plans and you've got to look about how they go about their business and does it stack up to finals football. I just don't necessarily think the West Coast Eagles will be able to travel and, and do that. Um, who else have we got in there on the bottom four at the moment? Um, Essendon, are they still in there or did they drop out? They've, they've dropped out. Yeah. Um, um, you've got you've got Melbourne and Port Adelaide and Sydney. Uh, I think, look, I'm sorry to say, I think Port Adelaide will probably be more of a chance to stick around in Sydney purely for that, um, that standard of football and the football you've got to play. I think they're probably getting a little bit found out um, of late Sydney and people are studying them now. Um, I'm not going to comment on Melbourne because I might lose my job. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah I really hope for the best for my team because we deserve it. Um, but we've got to really get that consistency going and, and that excitement going again and stop worrying and and just throw it all up into the, you know, want of a better term, into the wind and hope, hope for the best because... Um, our fans have been starved of finals football for a long time and, and now we're right there and 
they've really got a massive opportunity, but uh, I think the Melbourne Football Club are on a journey, and over the next four or five years, we're going to be regular finals um, performers. Um, so that's mm-hmm. enough on Melbourne. Sydney and Sydney have been um, look. Let's you got to say they've been in the history of AFL football, VFL football. There has been no cons- more consistent time of any team than those guys over the last 15 years. It's been phenomenal. Um, consistently in finals football, you know, grand finals, wonderful. Whether they can stick around in this year's um, stuff, I'm not so sure. And I'm not so sure on Port Adelaide either. You know, we're not the motor. So it's all how you yeah. come on, 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 on the MCG. But those top four look pretty pretty solid, don't they? Yeah, I don't know. The only thing I'd say is a concern is GWS. I just don't think they have a really good game plan. I think they've got the skills. But, like, I watched them, the Hawthorne GWS game in Tassie, and I saw GWS play Sydney. And I just, um, I'm just worried that the the game plan that they actually have, they base it on them beating their opponents. Mm. And if they get found out, they just struggle. Yes. Yeah, absolutely true. If someone's having a down day or not performing well, they do, don't they? They they rely on everyone playing well. I mean, all you got to do is sort of target specific players with GWS, take them out of the game, really disrupt them because they're young and they don't have other ways in which they can go. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's the teams that have got lots of tricks. That was the thing about the Bulldogs last year. They had so many tricks, and people just didn't know what the hell they were doing. They they couldn't yeah. figure them out. They were able to adapt to anything. I mean, that game up in the gold uh, against GWS, was it the prelim? Yeah, the prelim. That was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. They just were able to find their way out of anything. Um, And, you know, I don't know about the Bulldogs this year. Too many injuries for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Adelaide look like they're coming back into some great form. The Tigers. Don't forget, let's not discount the Tigers. They, they, They just might do something special this year. Because they can also still finish ninth as well. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well said, yeah. Yes. It's so great as a non-Richmond supporter to see them just fall through and finish ninth. Yes, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Microwave yes. their memberships. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can ask. Yes. All right, so the last question comes from Joshua on Facebook. <laughs> How do you get a team to stop bombing it in long? Yeah. Now he's a Swan supporter, so I just want to put that. Yeah, out there. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bombing the ball in long is is uh, is is panic. It's uh, it's. I think um, you'll find teams that are, are worried um, and don't. Uh, they haven't been drilled enough about how to go forward, uh, forward into their forward 50. I don't know. They just don't have enough processes around it. Um, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Um, we weren't able to connect into our forward line on the weekend. It was terribly, terribly frustrating. It's probably one of the most frustrating parts of the game if you if your ball constantly just gets rebounded out of your forward 50 and bombing it long to seemingly no one. If you're bombing mm. it long to seemingly no one, something's wrong. Something's Something's panicking you. Something's making your midfielders make these wrong decisions and you've got to have a good hard look at that. And and that is lowering the eyes. That's taking the time. That's identifying better options. So that's what I mean by having different tricks and I'm a bit worried about Sydney's game plan and that, you know, they, they really do look for Buddy. And if you can get yeah. Buddy out of position, if you can get Buddy running away from where he's comfortable, 
getting him doing something that he doesn't want to do, then you've got a real big chance because what other, what else can you... Is Tippett, you know, is it you know, Reid? Who's going to mark your ball? Who are you kicking it to? You know, you need to lower your eyes because that's been the great um, stalwart of Sydney over the years is that they've had multiple goal kickers. You've had guys that will run through the 50, through the pain, as I like yeah. to say, and jar you a goal just as you need it. But this year it feels like not looking for those different... Um, goal kickers like a Heaney will kick a goal or, or Jack will go forward and kick a goal this year it seems to be all about Buddy I don't know well back in 2012 yeah. uh, I think it was Reed was the leading goal kicker with like 25 or 28 goals for the season every game they'd have anywhere from 8, 9 goal kickers up to 13, 14 different goal kickers and yeah. and it's a it's it's a really good point you raise about how you go into the forward line because in the first quarter there was a couple of very good examples of that where the players received handballs on the outside and then they just went, go long. You, hear, you can hear the players just yell, go long. And then they just whip it without even looking. And what happens? You've got three Hawk players that roll back by themselves. But if you play football a certain way on the half-back line, you still should be able to play that way on the half-forward line. So you, you shouldn't be changing anything. If you can make your way through and take the game on and get through the 50-metre line and, and have a look at the goals, you should do that. You shouldn't be going, panicking yourself just because you're getting closer to the goals and thinking, well, quick, let's just kick it long and hope the forwards can do what they're supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to, you, you really do need to identify what's going on. You need to look up and go, OK, it's a slow play, it's, it's a fast play. I've got a, an option here. Buddy's been double-teamed, so I'm not going to kick it there. I'm going to kick it to the guy that's obviously got no, some, no one on them because he's been double-teamed. Well, let's handball it through this mess and let's let, you know, one of Callum Mills kick the goal. You know, it's, that's how it should be. So, mm. um, yeah, the, the, the good thing about for Sydney is, and that, I know I'm sort of being a little bit negative about Sydney probably too much, is there's a long way to go. There's still four games to get... You know, that's a long time to get your game going and get some momentum going in the finals football. And they've got the um, the postseason buy as well. And if they make it through that first round, they've still got potentially up to another three games to go. That's right, exactly. Mm. There's still a long way to go, and this is, there's a lot of drama still to unfold. No way about that. That's right. And just to, just to clarify, Robbo, I don't think you're being negative at all because I totally agree with everything you've said. The kicking efficiency <laughs> for a team that's sitting in the top eight, they are 17th in kicking efficiency. Not good enough. Not good enough. No, it's not. It's not good enough. That's right. I agree. <laughs> you love bringing that topic up every single time. <laughs> now, now, do you have any more questions, mate? Uh, yeah, I've got one more, Robbo. I've yep. got one more and it's got nothing to do with football. So, yep. obviously, um, I follow you on um, a couple of different avenues. I won't say what they are because I don't want people to start following you. But yep. you're actually looking a lot fitter now and um, you, you post yeah. some very good photos um, than yeah. what you did in your football days. What's the secret? Yeah, look, I, I discovered a, um, a cleansing program that I really got stuck into and I love it. It's um, I wish that I did it when I played football and even my ex-teammates see me now and they go, Robo, what the hell are you... You, you're fitter now, like you just said. Imagine if you'd done this when you were playing football and you were this committed, you might have been better for us. And I said, yeah, oh no, I don't know about that, but I really love, I really love um, uh, now taking control of my my destiny by looking after my nutrition. Uh, I don't train, I don't work out. I'll probably do one or two sessions if I, at best a week, 
um, yep. and those things are very light. But I'll um, I eat well, I eat right, I don't drink too much, I uh, avoid all the sugars, and I'll take one day a week where I don't have any food at all, and allow my body to heal and recover. So I, I really enjoy doing that now. It gives me a bit of focus, um, something else to do. So thank you for noticing, and uh, if anyone wants to. Um, you know, look me up. They can. No worries about that at all. I'm, I'm honestly happy to help people find health. Excellent. Well, I might have to um, question you more about that because I think that's great, and the <laughs> the uh, transformation has been amazing. I must say. <laughs> Thanks, mate. No worries. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah. So, what is your prediction for the year, Robbo? Yep. Who do you think will win it, and why? Well. Let's go with the Brownlow first. I think um, I think Dusty Martin's going to take it home because mm-hmm. he's um, you know obviously Dangerfield will go close, um, but uh, Dusty Martin has been in some of those games early on in the season. He was just so dominant. I reckon he probably racked up around about 15 votes, you know, six or seven games in, and all he's got to do is pick up another 15 um, with the next 20 or whatever it is, next 18, and he, he'll be okay. Um, yep. I think the uh, premiership is going to be between either a Richmond or an Adelaide. Um, mm-hmm. Adelaide, um, you know, they've just got to settle themselves and, and get through. And they, all they've got to do is, I think, just, you know, stay consistent and they'll be okay. Um, and they'll probably win the, the big dance, which is... Um, at, look, and to say that, I think I only really can just sort of say that maybe Adelaide. It's There's no one saying, oh, it's Hawthorne by far. And it's been like that for the last 10 bloody years or so. This year, yep. anybody can win it. And I don't know what's going on with football from week to week. It is so strange to me. And it's probably a wonderful thing. So maybe Adelaide, maybe GWS, yep. maybe not. I don't know. I really don't know. But I do know that there is, um, there is a way in finals football to play. And that is... Fast, aggressive, defensive. So if you've got those yep. three things ticking, and if you've all got an amazing defence, you're going to go a long way into September. And if you've got, and even into October, and if you've got some really good players, like a Geelong, I mean, we haven't talked enough about Geelong, probably. Geelong could absolutely win it. And they've got yep. you know, Dangerfield, who's getting a bit sore, and they've got Selwood, who again is probably getting a bit sore in the head. He had that epic hit from um, Otten, what was it, about six weeks ago? That's right, in the temple. So, you know, those guys could could go all the way as well. So just watch this space. It's anybody's game. Yeah. Well, my tip is um, Adelaide Geelong Grand Final. I've uh, said that from the beginning of the year, and I'm going to stick with it. Yep. No, that's a good good bet. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, um, so uh, you're right about uh, Dusty winning because Patrick Dangerfield has been rubbed out. What was your opinion of the tackle, and should he have been rubbed out? See, I didn't. Were you able to hear? I didn't. I didn't watch the news, so I wasn't aware. So yeah, look, I, I thought that he was in trouble. He didn't think he was. He was quite shocked that he was even sighted. Yeah. So unfortunate for him, but I, I, I really don't think he's going to win it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Careful, these tackles, I mean, to finish up on that, these tackles, you've just got to be so careful to not... It doesn't matter whether you've got the ball or not, you can't be driving the head into the, to the turf. just got to, you know, just be a little bit more mindful. 
it's such a fine line yeah. these days. Yeah. You go back 15, 20 years and that would have just been a good tackle play on. And it's an accident. Absolutely. Absolutely. In my day, you can jump up in the air and you can shoulder someone, get them in the head, and that's just bad luck. But now you'll get 10 weeks for that. So, Well, um, yeah. there was that Geelong player who did it till Savani. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Milburn. Dasher. Yes, yeah, that he, one um, particular spiteful game against Carlton where he got um, Savani and he got some, and he got um, Bradley as well. Yeah, yeah and he only got like it. one or two weeks, and he would be suspended for almost a year if he did that these yeah. days. And he had to get a police escort out of the place as well because the Carlton fans were ropeable, oh, and that was their the favorite. Locals, son. they they were they were a lynching mob then, but. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about, speaking of uh, suspensions, the um, the bug incident that happened in the Sydney game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what's your opinion on that? And I'd probably touchy subject for you being Melbourne, but yeah, um, what's um, what's your opinion on it? And should he have got as long as what he did? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and and even he'll say that we all say that he um, just got it wrong. We don't hate him for it. He's a good yep. kid. He's asked to play on the edge. These players are asked to play on the edge every day of aggressive, hard football. And, you know, being a young guy, sometimes you're, you're, you're fired up. You want to impress the coach. You want to play on the edge. Someone's pushing and shoving you. And he did cop an elbow just before it into the, into the body. You know, that's nothing. That's yep. okay with you. But it would have got him, and he just would have thought, I'm going to get you back. And he reacted, and his reaction was to throw a fist at that copped him right on the end of the chin. There you go, you can't have a six-week rest, and, and that's disrupted his whole season now. But, yeah, look, we've all said it, and we'll say it on record again. We do not accept, um, you know, performances like that from anybody. It's a bad look. It drives parents... To tell, it's it, it's, it's going to stop parents sending their kids to play football, that sort of stuff. So we can't... We just can't have it. Yeah, that's right. That's not the, uh, the Durham and Brereton era, is it? No, well, they used to no, do that frequently. No, men, men weren't harder back then. We just, we just didn't have as much awareness around um, the effects of getting hit in the head. I mean, 20 years before that, it was still okay to smoke. You know, we just, our, our, well, no one knew it was bad to smoke. Our, our knowledge of um, head trauma these days and the effects, you know, the, the, the damages and the, the sicknesses and the illnesses later on in life um, was just a duty of care to look after the head. So unfortunately for Patrick Dangerfield, because his head's been, you know, not tampered with but affected in this tackle, not too bad. It wasn't a bad one, was it? Because he sort of got up. But yeah, he got yeah. up and that was yeah. just went off. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So mm. I think that's probably why it's um, it's a touchy subject and he's got these weeks. Yeah. Well, um, Cruiser ended up with. Um, Finishing the didn't finish the game. He had concussion. So. Yeah, yeah. Duty of care. That's all it is. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Russell. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Good on you guys. No worries. I uh, wish the Sydney Swans all the best. I mean, I, I I do wish you all the best, but I think you've had enough of it, and you can bugger off. Yeah. That oh no 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 no. We want more success. We're used <laughs> to this. We can't we can't deal with not winning. <laughs> Good. On you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> only, only trouble with our success is we keep falling at the uh, the last hurdle. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah we don't want that problem. anymore, obviously. <laughs> we just like to get to the finals. But anyway, thanks for having me, boys, and uh, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing from you in the future. Uh, it's Excellent. been a pleasure, Thank mate. You Thank so you much, very Russell. much. All right, Steve, now it's time to do our Heroes and Villains of the Week. Now, uh, would you like to kick us off with your Villain of the Week? My Villain of the Week, yes, I will. It is the Match Review Panel. I, yes. Yes, I am sick and tired of the inconsistency that they continue to throw up every single week. I cannot believe how yep. people like Trent Cotchin, Dustin Martin get away for the away with stuff and then danger Yeah, field. every every week. Yeah. Every week it's a jumper punch, like a punch to the guts. No one knows how he gets That's off. That's right. And then Dangerfield gets rubbed out. And I know Russell Robinson said he thought he deserved it, but I personally don't think he did because he was in a tackle and they've both fallen forward. If he hadn't have hit his head, yeah. he would have got off. Because he hit his head, he didn't. I compare these two to the um, the Isaac Heaney tackles over the last two weeks. If Isaac yes, Heaney continues yes. to do this, he will be rubbed out. It's only, it's only going to take one person hitting their head, and he will be rubbed out. So but he'll get two. He'll get two to three weeks for him easy. That's exactly right, and that's what worries me. In that we are making our game softer. Like I can understand the match review panel doing their job when someone hits someone or someone deliberately bumps yep. someone in the head. But when it is a genuine tackle that is part of our game and then we are then penalising these people for tackling, it'll end up being touch football. Yeah, look, it's I, I saw the incident on replay. I didn't see it live, but I saw the replay and uh, he, he drove him forward, but even Cruiser sort of just rolled over and got up and I thought, oh, okay. And and then you hear the fact that he's off of the game concussed, and it's just like, wow, okay, then should he go for that tackle? Not really, but he's going to go because of the AFL's position on any kind of concussion or a head injury or anything like that. That it's just sacrosanct. You cannot concuss people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You go back five years, Basher Hooley, would he get four weeks? No. No, he'd get one week. Five week. Five years ago, he would have got one week, two at worst. So, it's just, yeah, look, it's, um, I, I agree, yep. MRP needs a bit of a whack, but um, I thought it was even worse when you hear people like Jimmy Bartels off for the week, so they have to put it down to two people or rope someone else in to do the adjudication, and, and you know, the uh, MRP was introduced to try and take some of the load off the tribunal. Yep. I don't think it's done that. No. I, I don't think it's done that at all. I agree with you there. I um, think it's actually made it worse. Yeah, it's, the whole grading system just doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's applied subjectively, not objectively. If it was applied objectively, it would work. With ex-footballers on the panel, there's too much subjectivity to it. But uh, that's that's just my point of view. Yep. Now, I have a villain, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to agree with this one. Yeah. It is Buddy Franklin's boots. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> I don't. I don't even care what brand he's wearing. What on earth was happening in that first half? I do not know. Now I was at the ground, and he took that first shot, and it was just like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, he does one of them every now and again, and then he did the second one on the run. Yeah, and you could hear the entire bay just groaning, and you hear, what the hell is he doing? It was just how he played that first half. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. It was. His worst half of football his entire career, hands down. And 
arguably his worst, his career worst performance on the night. Mm. It was a shocker, wasn't it? It was a really, really poor effort from Buddy. And, like, I know I've said over the previous weeks about his kicking and how his goal-to-point ratio isn't great, but he just had a shocker. He just had a real shocker that game. Yeah, look, there's a couple of people who have said that uh, he's a bit out of form. Maybe he should have been dropped and whatnot. I don't agree with that. I don't think he should be dropped. I just think that it's a bit symptomatic of the team itself at the moment that there is some issue uh, with goal kicking. And as Russell Robertson's pointed out, maybe it's because of fitness. Uh, maybe they're just too tired when they take the shots. Um I don't know, like, some of the shots they're missing, they're directly out in front, 20 metres, they can't be missing those shots, and they're missing them. Yeah, Callum Sinclair, perfect example, took the first mark of the game, yep. another contested mark, Yep. 30 metres out directly in front, hit the post. Yep. George Hewitt in, Thankfully we've got George Hewitt in the yep. third quarter, I think it was, he did the same hit thing. Hit the post, yep. hit the post, yep, directly out in front. Yep. So, uh, it's just, the Swans at the moment have a massive goal-kicking issue, and I think um, Franklin's... Kind of leading the charge in that, but uh, now on a lighter note, do you have a hero of the week? I do, um, and it's only happened today. And this is going to be a lot of people's hero of the week, I think. But um, Nick Rewalt and the way he actually yeah, handled yeah. the press conference today—I don't know whether you heard it or not—but it was very, very well done. And um, I just thought the way that he and the Saints have handled it. And to be honest, I think he's actually wanted to play on, and the Saints have said that they weren't going to give him a contract, but they've done it the right way. Unlike the Brent Harvey one last year, where he wanted to play on and the North were going to give him a contract. Yeah, um, and then he kind of kicked up a fuss and a stink about it too. Yeah, that's right. I think this has just been handled beautifully um, by him and then by the club as well. And I hope if um, it ends up being that it happens with, say, Jared McVeigh, um, like Ryan O'Keefe a couple of years ago. Um, if it happens and Jared McVeigh does retire or wants to go and play somewhere else, he does get this club support. Yeah, I agree. And, look, um, he's been a great player for our club and I'd definitely be okay with him moving on if he wanted to do that. Um, but, yeah, Nick Rewalt, he's been a superb player for St Kilda. He's led them... Every single game, he's been an icon, a massive role model for the club, especially early in the 2000s. He was, he was the image of St Kilda. He was, you know, he was St Kilda. So uh, my hat's off to him. Fantastic career. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the ultimate success, but, you know, he played in a couple of grand finals, so he can be pretty yeah. proud of his career. Five, wasn't it? I think now five I, grand finals he played in. Uh, 2000, no, three prelims in a row. Yeah. And then 2009, 2000, and two in 2010. So he played three grand finals. Yep. Three yep. grand finals and three prelims, I think, between, what was it, 2003 to five? Yep. Yep. Yeah, three prelims in a row. Um, so it's been a good career. Yeah. Um, yep. they didn't spend that long down at the bottom, which is good. Mm-hmm. They, um. That were traditionally the wooden spooners, so no, it's been a great career for him. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. I have my hero of the week. Now, this took some absolute stones. You know, this guy's uh, he's made out of iron. Mitch McGovern. Yeah. Now, yeah. he took the mark 
And then Siren went, he needed to kick the goal to draw the match. And he stepped up and nailed it straight through the middle. So I think, uh, I thought he was superb in that. And um, yeah, he did a fantastic job on that. Yeah. See, I'd actually go the opposite direction with that one. And as good as it was, I'd actually say he's my... Yeah, he's my villain of the week because I actually... <laughs> for Collingwood not winning. Yeah, that's right. For Collingwood not winning because if Collingwood have won, would have won, I think Buckley would have... Nathan Buckley would have almost been safe and I would have thought then he would have got another contract <laughs> and that would have been yes. Collingwood fans. Mate, yeah, maybe maybe we should actually amend that to Mitch McGovern being villain of the week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just for all those Collingwood fans out there. Yeah, oh, I love you. I love your thought pattern. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, let's have a chat about the the Swans and the Hawks game. And um, look, this was one of those games when I was on the train on the way home, and I was sort of thinking, how am I going to do the match report? I was at the game. I was a bit filthy about how things went, mm-hmm. and uh, I know I wasn't the only one. And you jump on Big Footy, you jump on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and you know. There's a lot of reasonably unhappy fans and there's the whole, let's look at the positives, try and take the positives out of the match. And I sort of sat there scratching my head and I go, what are the positives? And my lovely partner goes, well, we only lost by six points. And it's like, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. What's another one? Yeah. And she just sort of looks at me and like shrugs and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, actually that was, it has turned into a pretty bad one for us. Uh, yes, again. Six points, so very narrow loss. Yeah. But we came out of the match with six injuries. That's right. Um, and not only that, but it's quite possible that all of those six players will be missing this week. Um, so we've got Naismith, we've got Sinclair, we've got Mills, we've got Lloyd, we've got Rowan. Uh, and Kennedy. Who was the other Kennedy. one? Kennedy. Kennedy, of course. Kennedy, of course. How could I forget? Um, and his 200th match. Yes. So, yes. such a shame for him. And, yeah, look, um, the match, we started off brightly again the first couple of minutes. We looked superb. Uh, they didn't get a possession while we kicked 1-1. And then um, and then Burgoyne just did what Burgoyne does, and he just grabbed it on the back flank, dished it off, kept running, and then just uh, ran past a flat-footed Melican and gold from 45. Yep. And to be honest, that kind of um, started the started the rot for that poor young fella. He had um, he had certainly had a game to forget on Friday night. Yes, he certainly did, didn't he? Yeah. And I know a lot of people have been talking these praises and, you know, pumping him up. And, you know, from my podcasts and my blogs, I've been a bit more pessimistic. I've been a bit more hesitant to sort of, you know... Um, blow up his tires so to speak mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm not going to not going to write him off but at the same time I think maybe some of the praise has been a little bit too a uh, little bit too soon yep. sort of yep. going the early crow but yeah he had a shocker mm. and both Hawthorne games he's he's actually had a couple of really bad games against them it's because of the style of play that they play see the week before the week previously when he played against St Kilda and he dominated Nick Rewald which actually Nick Rewald actually said in his presser today was when he actually decided that the game had um, was starting to pass him by. And he actually talked about the um, how, you know, the young boy of Melican actually um, towered him up. And um, he talked about that in yeah, his presser. Yeah. But um, 
the... I mean, Hewitt, Hewitt even outmarked him as that's well. That's right, so. yeah. <laughs> but the issue for Milliken is he just... He was he was back to the Lewis Millie card and he didn't he didn't actually yeah. play the game that he can play because of how Hawthorne disposed of the ball. They chip it around, but they hit targets so well. Yeah. Like you look at it. And I I asked Ted last week, um, I asked him, do players get a little bit nervous at milestone games and do they tend to try a little bit too hard instead of focusing on their roles and jobs? And he he suggested that that can happen, and it's just up to the players to try and do what they do, get back to what their jobs are, just focus on that, trust other players in the team. And there was a bit of that, some players trying too much, and then there was just unexplainable nerves in the back line. That entire back line, I know after Malikin got burnt on Bergwijn's goal, yeah. he kind of fell apart, but the whole back line just fell apart after that as well. Um we didn't concede a lot of goals, but the ball coming in and the ball going out was just shambolic. We couldn't clear it, and they just kept the pressure on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And um, realistically, our midfield was really, really poor. You look at Zach Jones. Yeah, it was. You look at um, Kennedy was down, Hanabry was down, Parker was down. When our midfield fails, our team fails. And it's the same. Oh, look, and I agree. And Zach Jones, he played a vital role earlier in the season as a sort of pinch-hitting midfielder, um, especially adding a bit more relief to that side when uh, Robinson was in and out mm. and then Foot was playing. Um, I can't even remember who some of the other debutants were going through there. You also had Hewitt was playing almost 70% time in the midfield yeah. instead of yeah. playing a bit more forward. Papley was playing 60% in the midfield. And this is back before um, we, we even had Parker and Hanbury at the team uh, in the side at that time. Mm. We had Kennedy in the side, but for some reason he was playing half the game in the forward line. He just didn't look fit. And um, yeah, look, Jones, who was a revelation early in the se- uh, earlier in the season, he's, um, his form is a worry at the moment. Yeah. His kicking has... Yeah been shockingly bad and and I can't really recall too many times he actually hit a target on Friday no. night but even then going back several weeks yes. and I know a lot of people have gone back and said oh you know Heaney had a great game if he did if he did this if he did that um his kicking was shocking it was I struggled to remember one kick that actually hit a target from Heaney and he had uh 10 of 25 yeah. possessions were kicks and there was the two handballs that he had late in the game. There was one to Parker, which was pretty bad. It landed right in front of him, and then Parker couldn't gather it. And then there was another one that just went straight past the player. Yeah. After he did a nice move, grabbed the ball, made some room, pumped it out, just went straight past the player. I was just like, give us a break. Come on. Can't be that hard. Yeah, that's right. It's just I don't understand why our kicking efficiency, yes, I'm going back to it, why our kicking efficiency <laughs> is so Poor. But um, you're right. I look at Zach Jones, and people out in the um, the football world are going to hate me for this as being a Swan supporter. But I actually don't think that if we lost him at the end of the year, and don't get me wrong, I'd like to keep him, but if we lost him, I don't think it'd be a major disaster because he is another uh, one. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Sorry? I can see where you're coming yeah. from. I can see where you're coming That's from. That's right. He, he's... He's not a great kick. He's a hard and under footballer. He actually has 
like a lot of speed, but he just can't kick very well. And we have too many of those players in our team as it is. <laughs> he's uh, he's a little bit like he's a better Paul Bevan. There's no question yeah. there. Like Paul Bevan used to be just as hard, just as crazy, but his skills were terrible. They were like some of the worst in the NFL at the time. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I I see in the side that we have enough players of a similar kind of style, um, and we still have to look at what what's going to happen with Heaney and Mills next year, Lloyd as well. Yeah. Uh, Hewitt's going to continue developing. Can Jones play a role? Absolutely, he can play a role. He is still in our best twenty-two. Yeah. But his form is, uh, at the moment, on form, he's not in our best 22. I would seriously be looking at who can come in from the reserves. And I would probably rather have Marsh at the time. And even his foot skills aren't great. But he can hit targets. And there was a couple of instances, and Heaney and Hanabry have been doing this all season, and... I've hated it every single time they've done it. That inside, the inside to the center kick, yep. when they've gone from the flank into the middle and turned it over. They're doing it nearly once a match, yep. and the Hawks got a goal from it. And almost every single time it happens, they can see the goal. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So uh, I think uh, there's a. I know, I know you like to talk about kicking efficiency, but you got a point, mm. uh, and I agree. I've agreed with it every single time you've brought it up, yep. and yeah. The side, I, I think it's a bit of a confidence issue with the side at the moment. Yep. Um, I don't think it's work rate issue, confidence. Yep, I agree with you. Yep. Which is you. which is funny because they've won seven on the trot and they'd won 10 from 11 games. So they should be full of confidence. Yep. Uh, yep. But you just look at Franklin, whose kicking has been quite poor since the break or the bye. Um Jones as well. Jones for the last sort of four or five weeks. Uh, Mills for a lot of the season. He's up and unders. He's kind of channeling his inner Tom Mitchell best, which is uh, not not that great. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the, thing, we, we got... the thing with Mills is he's second-year player. It happens frequently to second-year players. So Yeah, it does. Um, he'll get better. Yeah. Um, I, I guess maybe we're just so used to success and we're just so spoiled, we kind of look at these players and go, ah, can't you do more? Yeah. Can't you do better? Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, look, the uh, the game on Friday night, it, um, again, exposed the Swans. Uh, as I wrote on um, Sunday, the Swans have found their kryptonite and the kryptonite is that chip-chip controlling game on, on the back line. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think where Hawthorne got it right was they had two quick forwards and at least two or three quick defenders. They didn't go... They went a little bit undersized in defense, but they made sure they had speed. And, yeah, it just caused all sorts of troubles for the Swans. Mm. And people were complaining about Callum Sinclair's game. When the ball's coming in, the way it was coming in and the direction it was coming in, he ain't going to have no impact. No, that's right. You could put Tony Lockett in the forward line and he'd struggle to kick a goal. Yep. I agree with you totally. So I, I thought some of the criticism was a bit unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very disappointed that Lloyd was out because there goes our back line kicking yep. our spread off the back line. And that forces someone like Jack or Hanabry or Parker to play that role. Yep. But they play different roles. Yes. They play, they're play they better at their roles. They're not, they're not very good at that role. And it forces Newman and Jones to be that let out kick and rampy and they're not that kind of player mm. right mm. 
Rampy's not the kind of player who's going to do a 15, 20 meter chiseler in board. He's the kind of player who's going to go 50 meters, 40 meters down the line or down the flank or across the field or something like that. So, yeah, look, um, unfortunately, change has kind of shuffled and I think it just threw the whole uh, the whole balance out. You could tell yeah. 10 minutes in, the balance was just yeah. out of whack. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, on a positive note, I think there were two players that deserve some kudos and that is... Nick Newman and Tom Papley. I thought they played very, very well. Yeah, I thought they did as well. And Papley's got his three goals. Yep. So uh, not only is he racking it up and killing it, he's also getting goals. That's right. And uh, That's right. Newman's definitely proved to be a very valuable addition this year. So um, I think he's been superb. Yep. And I thought McVeigh as well. Yes, he was good. Yes, he was good. Yeah. He... Uh, even though he had a bit of a kiss and tell mm. in the third and fourth quarter, I thought he led that back line superbly, especially when the uh, back line was really struggling. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and I, I'm just going on to the kiss and tell thing. I thought that was absolutely disgraceful by Langford. Yeah, it was. Mm. It was. That was inappropriate. So I'm really glad that the AFL didn't even, well, the MRP didn't touch him on that one because, yeah, yeah, yeah. look... Um, I just love the fact that he uh, kicked it over his head and then Langford, absolute Jongo, just went back and kissed him again. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. For yeah. crying out loud, what's your problem? Yeah, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? It was like very strange. How would you like your co-worker coming up to you going, hey, hey, Steve, give us a kiss. Yeah, that's give right. us a big wet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On national television. <laughs> On national television, I'd, I'd be a bit creeped out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, it's a bit like, well, that was unexpected. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, yeah, look, um, uh, just, yeah, that was a disappointing game to lose. Mm. But, uh, look, uh, the weekend, weekend for as far as ones go, wasn't too bad. It wasn't as good as it could be, but it wasn't too bad. No, to keep Hawthorne to 72 points isn't a bad effort, really. No, but uh, Saints almost did us a favour. Yeah. Almost. And, um, yeah, almost. Yeah, and uh, North Melbourne did us a favour. Yep. Um, I think top four is very difficult now. I don't think we're going to finish top four. Um, um, I, I'd be saying it'd it be, an... uh, we are going to be lucky to make the eight, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's looking that way, depending on how this weekend goes. Mm. Finishing in the eight could be uh, very difficult indeed because Essendon and Western Bulldogs are nipping. Yep. Eagles are nipping. Uh, we're all going to be equal on points, so we'll be we could potentially be eighth at the end of this round. Yep. And yep. with the Crows still yet to play, it could be very very difficult. Yep. And not only that, have you seen Essendon's draw? They have like the easiest draw in the competition over the next four weeks. So yeah, look, they should be winning. They should be winning three of those games. Yeah. So that's yeah. right. Um, but you never know. I thought they beat the Dogs, but they um, they didn't play that well. No. I, I no. was watching the last quarter. They were down by um, 11 points with only five minutes to go. And I had to nick off down to the supermarket, and I've opened my phone about four minutes later, and they're down by 30. And I was just like, what's happened? Yeah, that's right. And this is in the last quarter. Just looking at the school. What on earth just happened then? Um they just fell in a heap in the last little bit, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And look, a lot of people are singing the praises of Johannesson, but come on, let's face it, when you don't have an opponent, anyone could be bloody brilliant. Yep. 
And, and for most of the game, he didn't have an opponent. He just hung back 20 metres off the back and just had the ball in a string. Yeah. And and why was he playing up on the forward line? Oh, because he can't get a kick off the back line because he gets targeted every week. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think it's just a bit premature that people are sort of singing his praises and going, oh, he's back, he's back. Yeah, yeah no, nah, he's not back. He's not back. He's been found out. Yeah. Now, um... Look, uh, it's it's a bit of an interesting round coming up. Um, there are last weekend there were some really really massive and important games, um, but this weekend in particular, this is a very important round for the top eight. We play the Cats, mm-hmm. the Giants play the Demons, Essendon play Carlton, the Dogs play the Lions. Ah, uh, North Melbourne, calling it. They don't matter. But for lols, I want North Melbourne. Uh, well, who do you want to win, North Melbourne, Collingwood? Um, I would much prefer North Melbourne, uh, personally, because I just don't like Collingwood. But for Nathan Buckley? Oh, yeah, that's a good oh, Actually, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, for all of the Collingwood supporters that I hate, I hope Collingwood win this week. So Nathan Buckley sticks around. That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> Pre-medal Suns, nah, that doesn't matter. They're not nah. in the finals. Uh, St. Kilda and Eagles. That's a big one. That is a big one. I'm Richmond, hoping Saints Rich, win. Yep. That, that's going to be a tight one and a tough one. I reckon Saints should be winning this by six, seven goals, to be honest. Yep. But then we've got Richmond and Hawthorne, which is massive, and then Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Yeah. So it just goes to show, dropping last week on Friday night, oh, it's kind of screwed up our chances for top four because... All we needed was Port Adelaide to drop one game, yeah. and we're in. Yeah. Obviously, we still need to win those last four games, mm-hmm. and they're pretty bloody hard four games. But yeah, it's just uh, it really is quite disappointing that we actually dropped that. Yeah. Um, so, which game are you most looking forward to, other than the Friday night game? Um, I actually think the game I'm looking forward to the most is our crosstown rivalry, and that's the Giants versus Melbourne. Because I just yeah, I'm just I'm worried about the Giants. I really am. They they're not showing the potential. I know they've got a few injuries, but God, they just there's no structure. There's no game plan. Yeah, look, um, I watched a little bit of their last game. They they do look a bit of a mess. Mm. They just it's a bit too much, bit too much on talent alone. And they have some very talented players, some very good players. Uh, but yeah, when, when things get a little bit hard for them, they kind of, um, just go back to default, which is just try and outrun everyone and pray that someone's good enough in the forward line to take a one-on-one contested. Yeah, that's right. Tell you what, this has got to be probably the best Sunday of football of the season. Super Sunday. I agree. Yeah, it's a massive weekend. Every single, yeah, every single game has massive ramifications. Saints, Eagles, who's in, who's out, Richmond, Hawthorne. And you are saying earlier that uh, Hawthorne is still a mathematical possibility. Yep. Hey, they beat the Tigers. They, You know, you never know what could happen. Mm. Um, Crows and Port Adelaide, top four. Please, Crows win. And the Swans just win. We, if we want to stay top four, we'll be there. We just need to get if, it. Um, I, I, this is, I'll go as far as saying that if we don't win this weekend we will struggle to make the eight because I don't. Yeah, I, I can't see us beating Adelaide in Adelaide at all. I think we can beat Geelong at Skilled, 
but beating Adelaide at Adelaide yeah. is going to be a tough ask. Um, and then, you know, Carlton's already beaten us once this year, except I think they're tanking now. And, and, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't include any of those no. games in anything. No, that's right. But... That would, that were terrible. Uh, look, I'm going over to the Adelaide game, so I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't really want to go over there and see us get pants, but make a holiday of it all the same. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Now, um, our run home is uh, it's an interesting one because we do have the Cats and we do have the Crows away. <clears throat> and they're not easy games. So I feel that if we can't beat Geelong... Yep. I think the wheels are just going to fall off. Yeah. And I think we're going to scrape. If we do get in the finals, we're scraping into 7-8th. We're not getting a home final. Yeah. And I just, can we do the damage? Yeah, we can do the damage. Can we go all the way? Yes, we can go all the way. But there's some big problems that the team needs to fix. You touch on it. It's the kicking efficiency. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Goal scoring is number one, like shooting on goals. That has to be fixed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that um, people gloss over about the Hawks game, especially when they say, oh, we only lost by six points, we should have lost that by four or five goals. Yeah. Especially the way that the Hawks kicked in that third quarter. Um, they made an absolute meal of their kicking. So yeah. Yeah. two behinds, two or three on the fools. Um, I think it was Burgoyne who hit the post halfway up after they kicked it on the full. So on the full comes out, kicks it back into the post. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of the grand final. You know, we just couldn't get out of the defense at all and the whole system just fell to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's because they shut down our midfield. You shut down our, the Swans midfield, you shut down the team. And teams have worked yeah. out. Like, um, Robbo said that early. He said teams have worked out the swans and that's the concern is that they have actually I think yeah I think though um, having Kennedy off the field injured didn't help but then also you don't have someone uh, like Lloyd who's really good at picking those short passes and medium range passes in the midfield Mm. Um, he doesn't do a lot of lot of defensive work he's not a great defensive runner but he is very good at taking marks and you know, dishing it off. You look at his stats per game, he's averaging like eight, ten marks a game, which is ridiculous for a midfielder. Yeah. Uh, you'd be happy with a forward getting ten marks a game. So, yeah, it's, um, he was a big loss, but, yeah, Kennedy was an even bigger loss. But, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a very tough game against the Cats. What are your thoughts? Um, oh, I think having... Paddy Dangerfield out helps us. Um, I, I, and I think our injury list at the moment reminds me of, um, was it 2013 or 2015 when we went into the finals with lots and lots of injuries? Um, uh, thir- 15, 15, the one in uh, Fremantle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and... Uh... Dean Towers was our forward after Reed went off in the first what? quarter after blowing up Samstring. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was also the one in, was it 2013 as well, with Adam Goods and... Um, yeah, Fremantle again. Yeah, and um, I remember going over and watching the Swans play 
I think it might have been Swans playing North Melbourne at the um, ANZ Stadium in the finals, and I just thought, there's no way. I didn't know, don't even know why I went over. That was 15, yeah, yeah that was in 2015. Yeah. We got blown off the park then, yeah. but what did we have? We had um, Tippett playing Ruck, but he was also our forward. Yeah, that's right. We had no forward line. We had Rose, um, Jack, I think, was playing. Yeah. We had no forward yeah. line. I was watching that going, you know what? I know the Swans are going to lose. They, they can't win this. They've got no forward line. How are they going to score at all? And as it was, they didn't score. Yeah. That's right. So. And uh, I think Russell Robertson uh, said it perfectly earlier that uh, when the Swans were at their best a few years back, they, were, they had so many different goal kickers mm. um, and really good teams find ways to win, especially if they've got a, a good goal kicking spread. But at the moment, the Swans don't. That's right. They may be getting six to eight different goal kickers a game, and basically it's like six or seven, including Franklin's three or four. Yeah. So uh, we had, what was it, Reed and Franklin kicked eight between them in round two. Um, and then there's been instances throughout the season where Franklin's combined with someone else to kick like six, seven, or eight of the team's 12, 13 goals. Yeah. Yeah. I think, the, I think we'd be averaging, you know, probably five or six goal kickers per game, and that's not good enough. No, it's not, especially when one of those players goes down. Um, we haven't had Reed in, mm. so we've lost that goal-kicking presence. We've um, brought Sinclair in, and he's a good contested mark. Yep. But, again, with the delivery that we had on Friday night, he couldn't have done anything. Yep. Um, he would have had to have been David Blaine just appearing on people's shoulders magically from nowhere to be able to do anything. Copperfield, you know kind of trickery and whatnot, but uh, it was never going to happen. I mean, even if we had Russell Robertson in the forward line, I don't think his screamers would have been too good for us. No, that's a, but... that's the problem, isn't it? It's just um, <laughs> like it's great to have people who can take contested marks, you know, Sinclair, Tippett, whoever, yeah. it doesn't matter who it is. But, if but you've got to kick it to where they are, exactly not right. like to three bloody opposition players. Yep. I just couldn't believe that time and time again. They're just going along to no one. Or they go along to Hewitt on Ruffhead or Papley on um, Brand or someone like that. And you're just like, come on. He's not going to mark the ball. Yeah. It's right. It's, they just, I just don't get the whole thinking behind this one's vomit long, vomit long, vomit long attitude. Yeah. I think um, with the loss and also the injuries, it's going to give us a bit of a reset. So... We're going to see Tippett. I have no doubt whatsoever that we're going to see Tippett, and I would expect that Nate Smith is probably going to miss two matches. Yeah. Uh, his form's been a bit up and down. Um, I know you don't go on Big Footy, but I did my comments about Nate Smith on Big Footy and also on Facebook, and I got a bit of mixed response from both. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that the commentators and Radio shows were all raving about Naismith after the match. Oh, sorry, uh, McAvoy after the match. And um, I think it was SEN or someone had, Gazza from SEN had him as the best player on ground yep. for the Hawks, yep. which I laughed hysterically at because that was completely wrong. Um, you, you reckon I actually thought he was best on ground? He only really got off the chain when Naismith and Sinclair were off the ground. Yeah. yeah. But he dominated you look at the first. Yeah, but he had no impact in the first half. He was beaten by Naismith in the rock. He was beaten comfortably, not only around the field, but in the rock as well. So, yeah. yeah. 
uh, and again, when Sinclair was with him, yeah, he was getting some possessions and getting some marks, but it wasn't like he was dominating. He only got off on the last quarter because he had no opponent. It's like Johannesson against the uh, against the Bombers. When you've got no opponent, you can look like a superstar. So, you know, McAvoy, five contested marks. Yeah, he uh, got one against Hanabry. He got one against Hewitt. And he got one against Smith. And he got one against Towers. And he got one against Towers. Like, for crying out loud, if you're going to look at the contested marks, let's go like for like. Let's not talk about midget against Giants. Yeah. So, I thought it was just like people are bragging about it. It's like, come on, guys, look at the game. Look who he had to play against. He had no opponent. He's going to look like a superstar. So, look, I worry this week uh, because Tippett, in my opinion, whoever gets whoever's in the rock is going to get smashed by Smith. Yep. Um, yep. And I think it's uh, just lucky that Dangerfield's out because um, I think the midfield's going to struggle without Kennedy. Because uh, Parker's going to be forced to play inside, and everyone knows that's not his best position. Yeah. So Parker and Hanbury be forced to play inside. Um, it might be insanity, but we might continue to see Robinson and Foot. And oh God, I hope not. Um, I, I what I want to see this week. I want to see Aaliyah, and I want to see Dawson, and I want to see Dawson come in and play the role Kennedy plays. I don't want him. I don't want him playing on the forward flank. Getting his six possessions, looking like a mug, yeah. And people going, he doesn't look AFL standard. I want him in the middle, winning the ball like he does in the NEFL, yeah. Because he's killing it in the NEFL. He's by far and away the league's best player. There is no one near him. Mm-hmm. And his last game, he had almost two hundred dream team points, which was the best of anyone in the reserve leagues in Australia. Yeah, right. And he's getting attention across across the country. So not only that, he's senior listed, so he can come into play. Yeah, I, well, so I can't I understand would, why they haven't put him in, to be honest. I would have put him in before Foot. I don't think Foot's much of a player. Yeah, look, I thought oh, when when they announced Foot, I was baffled. You had a Leah. Mm. And I was saying this to my partner on the way to the game when Foot was announced. I was saying to her, I don't know what they're doing here. Aaliyah is the obvious choice. You bring him in to play as a forward. And as it was, they could have played him in the ruck and they could have swung him back in defence. Yeah. So, and you got Rampy coming out after the game, somebody got killed in the air. Well, 2020 hindsight, but oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you thought about it before the game. I thought, geez, Aaliyah should come in. Was he emergency? Was he emergency? Yeah, uh, Foot Robinson and Aaliyah were the were the travelling emergencies. Right, right. So, yeah. Look, um, if you're not going to play him, don't even bother putting him on emergency list. Yeah, yeah. Because the the foot foot's not a good player. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, but he's just. It's not his level. Mm. He tries hard. He works hard. He's just, he's just not AFL. Uh, he looked terrible. But, um, he looked absolutely terrible on the weekend. Well, he did. Um, he did something really nice in the third quarter. Won the ball off the half, off the back flank, dished the handball, got the receive, and then he's got a twenty meter kick up the line to I think it was uh, Hanabry was leading up the line or maybe Jack or someone. And he's uh, put in the pass, which has just sailed straight over their head by about a metre and a half, straight into a Hawthorne player's arms. And it was just like, what are you doing? But, so he's another Zach Jones. Mm, yeah. yeah, Zach Jones is doing exactly the same thing. So Yeah. yeah. That we don't win. Yeah. 
But look, um, matchups ahead of the Cats game. Uh, I think with uh, Dangerfield being out, that's going to balance up Kennedy being out. Mm-hmm. And all we need to do is shut down Selwood. Um, I don't rate the rest of their midfield really at all. No, neither do I. Uh, who do you think will take anyone Selwood? Who take Selwood? Uh, to be honest, I think they'll just play Parker head-to-head. Or maybe Hilt will go to him. Yep. Uh, and just try and play head-to-head. I would be shocked if Kennedy played. I, I But I would really like to see Dawson come in if uh, Kennedy's not up. Um, because that'll let Parker go head-to-head with Selwood but still play his usual game. Mm-hmm. And then you just put Dawson in to play... Um, to play that sort of inside mid and just let him do his thing. He's not going to, even if he plays, he's not going to have an amazing game, but even if he loses the contest, he'll still be able to let players around him do what they do best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worry about Malikan in this game. Because uh, I massive think forward line. he's going to get, well, not only that, but he's going to get Menzel. Mm. And I think uh, Menzel on, on the lead is going to kill him. Yep. There's no question about that. And as soon as the ball hits the ground, he's going to kill him. Yep. Uh, even after four knee operations, he's still going to kill him. So um, I would probably rather see Marsha really come in um, for that one. Um, and you've still got, when they've got their big tall players go down there as well. So Who's going to go to all things? Who's going to go to all things? Grundy, of course. And Grundy's um, beaten him. Pretty much every single time they played, uh, Grundy's got his measure by a mile. Yep. Uh, he really likes those kind of players. Big, big, strong, not particularly quick, not particularly athletic, but um, someone he can body up to. Yeah, that's true. Um, what about um, Harry Taylor? Uh, yeah, so that's the other one. Um, because if they, put, if they push their Ruckman... Uh, in defence, and then they push uh, Taylor. Sorry, if they push their Ruckman in forward line, like Smith, and then they push Taylor into the forward line, what then? Because they've still got Henderson and um, Lonigan yep. and Mackey. That's right. They've got a bloody fairly well-rounded so, side. Yeah, it's not like they've got a short defence with uh, Taylor in the forward line. No. So, that's, I think Malikin on... On um, Taylor's okay, but I think Rampy would be better suited. But they're pretty undersized in that contest. So Smith Smith worries me. Yep. Um, yep. Stanley as well. So they can really exploit the height and physical strength. Yeah. Um, Do you reckon Smith might go to Menzel? Sacrifice the height to nah, keep the speed? No, nah, no. Nah. There's no way that Smith is going to beat him in a marking contest. That's why I think it might be better off bringing Marsh in yeah. or Lear in. But I think the club's going to stick with Malikin. Who knows? He might have an absolute blinder again. Yeah. yeah. And all faith is restored. But I just worry because they do have some quick players in there. Um, they can rotate a few th- a through a few through there. So yeah. See, I don't. I, people keep saying about a Lear, but I've, the, from the reserves games that I've watched, I just don't rate him. He's nowhere near as good a player as what he was last year. And He's got his knee injury, though. That's right, and that's why. Why would you bring him into the seniors to do that? Why would you name his emergency? Because he's not, you know, winning every contest in the reserves, and he's playing against second-rate footballers there. 
So he is playing a role, though. So I, I think he's a bit in a way same similar ilk to Reed in that he gives you a lot of flexibility. He can play three different positions, mm-hmm. and you can even play him on the wing as a tall wingman. Uh, and you can use his use his uh, vertical leaping ability, his athleticism, his marking ability, his kicking. To be honest, his marking, kicking, and hands are probably top five in the team in all categories. Easily. But his decision-making... His, kick, his kicking... No, his decision-making is okay. His defensive ability is non-existent. He didn't defend. and He was not a defender until he came to the Swans. And the Swans yeah. have tried to build him into a defender. He is substandard one-on-one defender. He's not a one-on-one defender. He even He's not even a defender to play on the lead. He's an intercept yeah. defender, um, much like uh, Luke Hodge has been more so late in his career, Nick Maxwell, th- those type of players. Um, yeah. He can yeah. play swing as well. So think like an Adam, um, Adam Hunter from the Eagles uh, who could swing backwards and forwards. He's that kind of player. He's not your bodied-up player like a Malikan or Grundy is. Even a Rampy, for instance. Yeah, I agree with you. you. Um, yeah, I agree with you. You remember his game against Tigers last year at the end of the season where he uh, intercepted a mark and then dummied two players and then just hit a chisel up the wing to, I think it was Franklin on the, on the lead who just wheeled around and went long? Yeah, I do remember it. And I think, like, last year, when we actually look at it and go, well, it was he the difference with the grand final? He probably was. Yeah, but yeah, he in, was. This year, when he came in, he just tried to do the same stuff, and he just couldn't do it. He kept kept getting caught. But he wasn't fit, though. That's that's the thing. Like his knee was giving him issues. But from me, when I'm watching it, he didn't look fit. What did he look to you? Did he look fit to you when he played? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And Longmire came out and said afterwards that we shouldn't have played him. He just wasn't fit. Mm. So, but now. So. Why would you bring him in now when he's actually probably more hampered with injuries? Uh, I don't think he's more hampered. Um, he's certainly recovered. It's just flexibility. Uh, I think maybe they brought him as cover for a defender, mm-hmm. but they um, made the wrong call. Um, bringing in a, a midfielder for a forward was not the right call. So I can understand the desire for an extra runner, but, I mean, Rowan's not an extra runner. He's a forward, for crying out loud. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, it's a bit bizarre, but that's the decision they made, and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's right. They've um, they've co- probably cost them got your spells, phone. Spells, got, got your phone there, mate. <laughs> Sorry? Sorry? Got your phone ringing there. Yeah, I did have, yes. <laughs> now, uh, now uh, let's wrap it up. We'll do our good call and uh, bad call from the previous week. Okay. Now, now uh, Ted had uh, his prediction. Mm-hmm. He had uh, Eagles by eighty. Whoa! <laughs> now, uh, what did they win by? I think they, if I recall, they did. Punished 50? 56? Yes. No, it was uh, close to 80. It was... Uh, carry the 68 68. Points. 68. Yeah, 68 points. We'll, we'll give him a big tick there. Ting! Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only one of the few ticks of the year. 
close enough. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, my predictions were awful. Um, Swans by four goals. Bam, bam. St. Kilda to beat Port Adelaide. Bam, so bam. close. Yeah, bam, bam. Collingwood to win. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. <laughs> now, Stephen had Buddy to kick five goals. Bam, bam. And he was saying something about Ben Brown, but he got cut off. But Ben Brown, yeah. <laughs> Ben Brown played really well. Now, he what he did actually have a good game. Was he kicked like four or five goals or something? Yeah, four goals, one. Four goals, one. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty good effort from the big boy. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now can I get some predictions from you, mate? You can. All three right, my predictions. First, my, my three predictions is going to be a long one. My first one is going to be this. Okay. It's going to be about next round, not the whole rest of the season. Oh, come on. Just give me this one. Just one. <laughs> no, 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 no. You do the rest of the season in the last round. Come okay. on. This next right. season, let's go. Okay, all right. This this game, all right. Um, oh, let me think. I think Melbourne to beat GWS. Yep. Lions to beat the Western Bulldogs. Yep. And Sydney, <laughs> and you're not going to like this, Sydney to lose by less than a kick. Now, we're talking a point or a goal? <laughs> um, I'm going to say less than a, so less than a goal. Yep. Because mm. if it was less than a point, it would be a draw. That's right. Now, uh, yeah. Now, I've been tipping something Swans-related every week. I'm going to give up on that this week. Yep. Because <laughs> it just hasn't, it hasn't worked. Um, so, all right. So I reckon, um, for Giants and Melbourne game, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with, uh, Gorney to Mm -hmm. dominate. Yep. I reckon he's going to have 45 plus hit outs. Yeah. Well, that's about right. And then, yep. Yep. Now I am gunning for a Hawks win. Hawks. They've, uh, they've got a... Yeah, the Richmond have got a few out. Mm-hmm. So they should be winning this one. And I reckon we're going to have a uh, Adelaide-Port Adelaide shootout where both teams are over 120 points. That's a good theory, that one. I agree with you. Okay, now can I do my um, end-of-the-season prediction? No, no, you've got to wait for till the end of the but, season. But this, is, but this has got to be... <laughs> just give me this one. My prediction all right, is, all right, all right. this is the Coleman medal. My prediction is Josh Kennedy will win it because it's based on yeah, the, the fact... the way the Franklin's kicking at the moment. Yeah, but not only that, based on the fact that it's such a topsy-turvy season and anyone can beat anyone, and I reckon any goal kicker can win it because he's missed six games and he's already only three behind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's uh he's that kind of player where they just go to him every single time. Yeah, and he can mark that. That's the problem. That's very true. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for joining me tonight. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on. I really enjoy it. As always, guys, you can follow us on social media or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us with the tag the Swans blog, and you can also send us your comments and questions during the week using the hashtag SwansCast. Until next time, have a good one and go Swans!